welcome to episode zero of the Morbid Minutes, your home for everything macabre, monstrous, murderous, and of course morbid. With your hosts, writer, artist, idiot Lenny Kay, and screenwriter and creator of William Frost, Vance Savage. This is a short special episode where we will be discussing our favorite spooky subject, us. <laughs> Are you a believer? I lived in a haunted house, a very haunted house, when I lived in Pennsylvania. I don't believe that we're the only thing right. in the universe, man. Right. I'm agnostic in all of my beliefs. Sure. I, I'm open to the possibility. Okay, Vance. Yes, sir. Tell us about you. I started playing drums at the age of six, and then I got into, like, guitar, bass, keyboards, and I was in a bunch of hair bands back in the 80s. Yeah. And Are uh, there photos of you? Oh, yeah, that? there's there's photos around with me with... Uh, Can we put them up? Uh, I'll dig some out, yeah. Okay. Long platinum, blonde hair, like a Sebastian Bach wannabe, you know, Sebastian from Skid Row. And then I did a lot, I self-produced a lot of demos. I wound up doing 10 independent albums, playing almost all the instruments. I worked with a few other uh, musicians, you know, in bands like Ash and uh, Pete's Dog, uh, Band Savage, AMFM. And in uh, like 2002, I had this job at uh, AMC in uh, Tonawanda, New York, and uh, film really hit me hard for some reason when I was out there. I always loved film. But it really hit me hard, so I started to write screenplays. Now uh, we have a huge movie in the works. Absence Productions is producing it right now. Some big studios are kind of in a bid war over it. It's called William Frost, F-R-O-S-T-E. There's some huge iconic names. The cast is massive. We've got people from Rob Zombie's Halloween, Devil's Rejects. We've got Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Nightmare on Elm Street, all these huge movies. No other film has assembled this amount of uh, iconic cast. And it's cool because Rob Zombie's wife, Sherry, she's doing the clothing line to it. Too. It's it's not like a slasher film. It's a psychological thriller. I don't want to put too much out about it right now. But if you go on my site, vansavage.com, you can read more about that. I've known you for a couple of years now. Why why horror? Why you know? When I was a kid, I was like really really big into Halloween. I was playing my Halloween records and everything <laughs> all year round. Right. You know the the on my little stereo player. Like I had my decorations. I kept the decorations in my room year round. And when it wasn't Halloween, I'd be checking out Halloween books in the library of my school right. and everything. You know, and I just became very fascinated with like uh, death. And I became very fascinated with the dark side of, of things. And when I was younger, I developed a, a morbid fascination for serial killers. Not really about them killing, but the, the psychological basis behind them. But I'm just, I'm more drawn towards the dark side. So anyway, Lenny, tell us about you and how you got all started in, in all of this. The very first movie I ever saw when I was a kid American Werewolf in London. My Great mother, movie. <laughs> my mother took me. I was about two years old. She, I think she said she thought it was a comedy. How the hell would you think that was a comedy? <laughs> but I cried and screamed, and it's been a lifelong love ever since. To where we differ, you seem to be attracted to the darker side of mm-hmm. the horror genre. And that's all-encompassing. I mean, the supernatural and, and everything that we're going to hopefully... Um, uncover and talk about uh, through the series of podcasts. But I like the whimsical, silly, humorous nature of horror. And I I always have. I've always been attracted to, especially the cartoons when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
the Garfield Halloween special. I don't know. There's something about the colors and the way it's drawn. I, my my blood runs black and orange. Yeah, I like, or, I, yeah. I like the whimsical stuff. Yeah. Though, no, yes, you do. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of your art. Huge fan. Thank You're you. One of the greatest artists I've, I've ever known. That ever lived. Well, like you, I spent my 20s as a musician. Um, I didn't get anywhere with it. And I fell in love with writing. And that was a very long road of rejection and heartache. Um, I had uh, one particular novel that got a little attention. I had two different agents for it. And then I spent about two years revising over and over um, this book and couldn't get past the revision stage. It was a, a little bit my agent's fault at the time and a lot mine. And so I, I walked away and, and quit and said, I, I'm done, I'm done. And my now wife, uh, my little Tabitha King, basically took my carry out of the trash and suggested that I do something for children. And when I was a kid, I always wanted to be a cartoonist, but that went away at some point. So I went to her classroom. She works in a kindergarten classroom and put something kind of silly together, kind of crappy for the kids. But their reaction was so overwhelming and it was so much fun that I thought, well, maybe I could get a job as a some freelance work as an illustrator. And so I put a little, uh, little tiny portfolio together, and the first agency I queried wrote me back in 10 minutes, which is insane to put that in perspective. I once got a rejection letter a year and a half later from an agency. So um, it was the fast track. Uh, we met in person. She came to Vermont for a conference and, and drove a few hours out of her way to meet me in person a few, uh, maybe a month after our first initial contact. Signed me the next day. Um, and then a few months later, we sold my very first uh, picture book to one of the big four. My wife was right. Don't. I hope she doesn't listen to this because I don't want <laughs> her to ever know. Are you a believer? When I was in uh, Pennsylvania, I lived in Pennsylvania. We lived in a small town, my ex-wife and I, named Barnesboro. And it's also known as Northern Cambria. We rented this this house and... It was said that a bunch of miners had lived in this house years and years and years ago, and some of the miners had died. You know, you blow that kind of thing off, you know. And, you know, one day I was home alone, and I heard the garage door go up and down. And I said, oh, my, my, my wife must be home early. So I went down and looked, and there was nobody there. A few days later, I was at work, and she was at home, and she heard the same thing. So that was odd. She went down, you know, thought I came home early, wasn't there. I was upstairs. Uh, a few days later, and then I heard a loud crash of dishes. I thought she must have left a huge stack of dishes down there, and they slid off because of the condensation. So I went downstairs. There's no dishes, nothing stacked on the sink, nothing. Right. And then uh, we were asleep one night, and we woke up because there was this sound in the corner of, of the bedroom. It was going... Like, it was like a tick. We woke up, it was very, very cold. I mean, you're talking, this is in like June, and we woke up, it was very, very cold in the room. When you went out of the room, it was warm. We went out, went downstairs, because it was on the second floor, everything was warm. When we went into her son's room, who was also on the second floor in a different room, his room was warm, our room was cold. A few nights later, we were in bed, and she woke me up, because she's like, do you hear that? Do you hear that? I didn't hear anything at first night. I listened, and there was this walking up and down the stairs and you could hear the footsteps down there I thought somebody had broke in and yeah. I, I grabbed I grabbed something I don't remember what it was for a weapon and went down and looked around and there was nobody there 
The end finally came for us when we were in bed one night and we heard it was like a scratching on the front door. The, the next, we had forgotten about it. And the next day we were having uh, uh, some, you know, a few beers. We were outside. The neighbor came up and said, hey, who was the weirdo at your door last night? We didn't really process right. it. And then I was like, what do you mean? What they look like? He was like, just really odd, weird, like almost kind of disfigured and everything. So we went back, we looked at the door and there were like scratch marks. That would bum me out. We were out of there. Yeah. We left. We were done. And we didn't even give the, the landlord notice at that point. She she found us moving out. And she's like, oh, you guys are trying to sneak out on us. And my ex-wife had said, yeah, you didn't tell us that the house was haunted. What about you? What about... I Well, it always comes back to one defining moment. Uh, my father got saved and became a zealot Christian when I was very young. So I, I was... Um, I was raised in a home that was involved in the church three, four times a week, going to tent revivals, people speaking in tongues and raising their hands to Jehovah and that sort of thing. I say that first because some of the stories that I can recall as a kid may have been heightened because of how indoctrinated I was in the church. You sure. know what I'm saying? I may have been, you know, I may have just uh, that sort of religious hysteria. But as an adult, there is one moment that occurred when I was about 21, mm -hmm. 22 years old. And those who know me know this story, so I apologize if you've heard it a couple times, but it always comes back to this moment. When I moved out of 15, I lived with my grandfather. who was a mean old curmudgeon. I'm sure he'll come up a few times uh, for several years, and then I started dating this girl, and we lived in an A-frame on Glastonbury Mountain, which we're going to dedicate a whole show to. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say, that place is bad enough <laughs> yeah. where the Native Americans wouldn't even, wouldn't even go there. Right. You were in the A-frame over on Glastonbury Road, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, we were there for a little over a year. So it was about 6 a.m., and there was an earthquake. <laughs> which which is strange enough for Vermont anyway. Yeah. The little tremor, and it woke me out of a sound sleep. Uh, but I was in that sort of twilight of half awake, half asleep. So I, I fell back into a dream. This was the dream. I was suddenly in my grandfather's living room with a microphone in my hand. And he was laying on the couch, smiling up at me. And I started to sing the Fats Domino song, Ain't That a Shame. And he, it was bizarre as dreams can be, and he smiled and opened his mouth to say something, and this horrible noise came flooding out of his mouth, and at the same time, the ceiling ripped open, and a bright, blinding white light uh, filled the room, and I woke up gasping, and that noise was still going, and I realized, in waking reality, that it was the telephone. So I got up and staggered across the bedroom and picked up the phone, this is pre-cell phone, Sure. Um, and I said, hello. And it was my dad. And his father had already passed away. So when he said, Len, your grandfather's died, I knew exactly who he meant. And I said, yeah, I think he just came to say goodbye. Wow. And my father was, he got very white. All righty then, call your mother. You know, he, he, <laughs> he's very weirded out by that, I think. So anyway, that, that happens. I didn't cry. I turned around, my girlfriend said, who's that? I said, that was my father, Len, who I'm named after. Len, Len has died. And she was really upset. He was a character everybody um, hated and loved him at the same time. Sure. But I didn't. I didn't cry. I didn't cry at the funeral. I didn't cry at all. Just kind of numb and sort of felt at peace because of that dream. But uh, a few days later, we're at my grandfather's house, and I'm there with my mother. We were sitting across from each other at, the, um, at his kitchen table. It's like a sea of medications, white caps, orange pill bottles, you know. Uh, she was throwing things away, and she started. She burst out of tears and started to sob, and it was very uncomfortable. So um, I st I stood up and just grabbed his keys. He had a truck and a car, 
and I went out to the truck and I uh, put the put the keys in the ignition for no reason that I that I can recall and I turned uh, I turned the truck on and uh, there it was there it was you made me cry when you said goodbye Ain't that a shame give a weird fact to everybody about you concerning death I mean, like, maybe, did you see a dead body kind of thing? Did you, have you ever came across it? Have you ever had murder in your family? Have you, you know, things like that. So something very dark and macabre kind of about death that has come close to you, that has brushed you. Yeah, I've seen a couple dead bodies. One was a few years ago, and my mother, who is a English Romany, a gypsy, uh, maybe she put a little gypsy curse or had a little gypsy magic on me, I was working at a restaurant, and she asked me on a Wednesday, have you had anybody die on you yet? And I said, what? <laughs> no. What kind of friggin' weird, weird question, question yeah. is that, Mom? And uh, a week to the day later, yeah. next Wednesday, a woman came running inside and said, Len, you've got a woman down in the parking lot. I expected to see a little old lady that maybe fallen and hurt her hip or something, you know. And I opened the door, and it was an old woman. She wasn't feeling well. She'd gone outside to get some air, had a stroke, and dropped onto the ground. I don't know if she dropped dead before or after her head hit the concrete, but I will remember her brains and her pantyhose for the rest of my life. Really? That was pretty traumatic. That was pretty awful. Gray matter, uh, like a pink meat out of a uh, melon. And then, of course, I, I also saw a fatal car accident when I was... 16 years old mm. and I'm not counting funerals for horrific encounters those are the two for me I got I I have some murder that's in you know in the family kind of thing a lot of people know that Mary Rogers was my great aunt and she uh, committed murder here in Bennington in 1902 and she killed her husband and she had some help and and uh a lot of people know about Mary Rogers. If you don't, you can always look it up. I was on Discovery. Yes, like you were. In October for that. And I did an interview about it. And, you know, if you go on vansavage.com and you go into the news, there's links there if you want to watch that. Uh, and she was the last woman executed in the state of Vermont. She was four months pregnant when she was executed. And that's a whole story within itself. But the creepiest thing... That, that for me is, when I was a young kid, my sister started this out on me. And I was mentally scarred by taking me to see Texas Chainsaw. Sure. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, keep this in mind, in Friday the 13th, especially Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And who did she take with us but her boyfriend? And her boyfriend's name was Tim Reisendorf. She went with Tim for many, many years, and she lived with Tim and Troy. And Tim was my, he was a drummer. And he bought me my first kit when I was six, and he started to teach me how to play. Years later, Tim got involved in some bad things, and he got involved with this guy named Gary Evans. And Gary Evans was a thief, and he was in prison. And while he was in prison, he, he, he got to know David Berkowitz, the son of Sam, very well. They became friends. And he came out, and, and Tim and Gary and this other guy, Mike Falco, and one of the other guys used to go around, and they used to steal things. they do jewelry heists and things like that and break in at night and everything. Well, Gary got very paranoid that these guys were going to rat him out. So Gary started to kill off the guys one by one. He had Timmy in a uh, storage locker in uh, Latham, New York. And he took a gun and he put it to the back of his head and he blew his brains out. Jesus. Then he went and he took a chainsaw and he cut Tim's arms off. My God. And he cut Tim's legs off. 
in the place and cleaned it all up. And he put Tim in a bunch of different bags. This is this is a guy who was at our house on Christmas, you know, right. all the time. At our, you know, the guy who taught me how to play and you know introduced me to like music like that. And he took Tim and he buried him not far from where I lived in in, in the forest. That to me was pretty horrific because when I was young, when I was a kid, I used to stay in Troy on summers with Tim and Shelley, and I met Gary Evans. And I'll never forget his cold, piercing eyes. And man, back then, I mean, he looked right through your soul. You knew he was bad. And, and, and when I was a kid, man, he scared the living hell out of me when he looked back in the back seat at me, man. You know, and I'll never forget how I shivered, you know. And I yeah. knew that that guy was nothing but bad things. That's that's enough to creep you out. <laughs> I think so. You should see Lenny's yeah, yeah. face right now. Yeah, I've never, yeah, I've never been that associated. Yeah, Other than close. seeing a few accidents, I, sure. I really, I haven't been that associated. Um, and now I want you out of my house. Okay. <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, thank you, Vance. Thank you, Len. Um, and we're off to record episode one. Awesome. Sounds good. Um.